0: Welcome to Get to Work Early, your podcast for pro writers, fans, and geeks of all sorts. On this episode, she is the critically acclaimed author of more than a dozen books in the old world universe, as well as numerous short stories and novellas, including The Nightshades trilogy from Tor.com. Her journalism and academic work has been published in the International Journal of Comic Art, LitReactor.com and Tor.com. She has a background in screenwriting and has been a TEDx presenter. In addition, Melissa has recently started doing work in the comic book industry with the new release of Project Cryptid out Wednesday, January 24th, which is one of the subjects we'll be discussing today. Welcome to the program, Melissa F. Olson.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Like I know I have to say that as a podcast guest, but I actually genuinely mean it.
2: You had you have been on this one before. Yeah, before Tim joined us. So
1: Pre-Tim. Yes, yes.
2: Yeah. Pre-Tim. Yeah. Yeah. PT time. So yeah, I'm super glad that you um agreed to be on this. I know um one of the things that we talked about is, you know, how how different your career has been. How long have you been writing, actually? So That's um it, fellow old person.
1: You know, I never know, and this is probably a good topic for your um, listeners. I never know whether to count when I started writing books or when I got published. Yeah. Or when I got an agent. Like, there's all of those milestones kind of function as gatekeeping. And so it's hard to say, but I'll say my first book was published, um, I sold it in 2010, and I believe it came out in 2011 but okay, to so yeah,
2: we're right at the same, to, same time then
1: yeah yeah okay. oh god but you're so much like you have so many more books and they're all so much longer than my you, books you've written way more books than me no I've only written 12 books so. oh my god we are like two women in a bar in LA who are like no you look so pretty I don't look pretty you look pretty I'm a mess but this is the much better version of that. This is a much better version. This is a professional version of that. Okay, Melissa. Goddamn professional. <laughs> yes. Okay.
2: Um, so again, so your your first love really then novels, right? Um, yes. So I'm curious again. The the cryptid stuff is is quite new for you, and I'm just curious. And I think other again listeners would be interested too. Is how do you go from writing again a dozen novels, so many short stories, novellas? And then how do you how did you kind of transition into or get into
1: doing comics work? Yeah, no, that's a fantastic question because it's such a weird choice. Um going from publishing fiction to writing comics, I keep saying it's sort of like jumping from a ship that's on fire onto a second ship that's also on fire, but the fire on that one started later <laughs> and there's more lifeboats. Hmm. So, um I, you know, my, what's strange for me, because when you're in your career, you don't really know when you first start, like, is this weird? Is this a typical path? I think there probably is no typical path in publishing, but I definitely had kind of a weird version where I started writing for 47 North, which was, which is Amazon science fiction, fantasy imprint. And I joined them in kind of the first round when they were just sort of starting out. And at the time they were really starting trying to be and telling everybody that they were trying to be a sci-fi fantasy publishing company, like above all first. And, you know, later that kind of shifted and they became a Kindle publishing company. So um, what was unusual about my career is that for my first like seven, nine books, I just kept writing for the same publisher. Um, I, you know, I signed a contract for two books with them, and then I signed another contract for two books with them. And, um, I did a spinoff of my original trilogy that I'd done, uh, which starts with Dead Spots as my first book, but I did kind of a spin-off, So there was another starting point and that actually became a case study there because, um, it, it went really well. So, you know, I kind of compared this to being a soap opera actor, where you have more job security than anybody else in the industry, but it's kind of the golden handcuffs, you know. Like I didn't have a lot of availability to write anything else, and you know, writing for an Amazon imprint has good good points and bad points. Um, and I I kind of didn't know anything else for a long long time, which is very unusual for writers who you know will have one book somewhere and another book somewhere else and so on. Um, right before the pandemic. And and I I did write a trilogy of novellas for Tor, which I still love very much, um, but it was really my 47 North work. And then right before the pandemic, um, 47 North dropped my series, which was a bit frustrating because I'd always planned it for 12 books and they dropped it 11. So like, uh, I, sorry for the digression, but like I started my series with the main character, Scarlett Bernard. Then the spin-off series had the main character, Alison Luther. And my dream in my brain was always to end with a big crossover All book. of them
2: coming together. Yeah.
1: Because when I was growing up, I read those Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys super mysteries. Do you remember those? And I like that was in my head. Like it was it was like incepted in my brain so young. And I think I just always dreamed of that. So, um, so yeah, they dropped the series after 11 books and I, at the time, um, was going out. So this was like this moment in my career, which should have been a pivot moment Mm -hmm. where my agent took out a a brand new book for me. That was very different from everything I'd written else, everything I'd written before. It was a angry feminist sequel to Frankenstein from the perspective of Elizabeth Frankenstein after she's resurrected by the creature.
2: I still want this book to exist. So any publishers listening to
1: Well, it, I wrote the whole, I wrote the <laughs> I know, whole book. Right? Yeah, you've got it. Um, so this was supposed to, so this was a sliding doors moment in my career where I was gonna go from this treadmill of having the same series and just a new, you know, one or two new books every year, Doing some like short stories and stuff, kind of in the same universe. And then I was pivoting to Pivot! a slightly more literary, but mostly just, you know, kind of different subgenre. And that book went out in January of 2020, which is not a great time to sell like any unusual book. Like at that time, the publishing industry. Like they were only making money on adult coloring books. You know, everybody wanted to buy like the next Lee Childs or James Patterson, like real safe, you Mm -hmm. know? So that put me in. So so the book didn't sell and it was the pandemics. So, you know, I was dealing with lockdown and um, two neurodiverse kids and all of the craziness that everyone, you know, had to deal with and the book didn't sell. And I'd never, one of the things they don't talk about as for mid-career authors is the problem of childcare and next books. Because I wrote my first novel while, you know, I had little babies and I was working part-time. I think I was working at Blockbuster, honest to God. Um, and family video, although I did get fired from family video for not having a family video attitude. That's not surprise surprising Melissa. What? what? Oh my god! That's still the only time in my entire life I've ever been fired, and I'm still a little salty about it. You're fired because that really was my crime. Like that was, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, yeah. So, um, I wrote my first book, kind of cobbling together time, you know, on the weekends. But then once you have a book contract, you're expected to sell the next book or write the next book fairly quickly. But what if you don't have childcare? Um, and so for years I would write a new, I'd sign a new contract, get an advance. I'd use that advance to pay for childcare, to write the book. Yeah. And that's something that without those advances, there wouldn't be books. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, in the, in the pandemic, when I lost that system, no more advances, I didn't have time to, to, well, and I couldn't commit to sitting down and spending a year six months to a year writing a new book, not knowing if that one would sell either. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually how I got into comics. See, you thought it was a digression, but I brought I it all back. I never thought it was a digression. So <laughs> never. You should be way more on guard for digressions, honestly. <laughs> like one of you should have a red button that you kind of like <laughs> lift up into the frame on Zoom and like, Melissa, like, or music, like do like the Oscars thing and just like kick in music when I'm going too long um no okay so yeah, there we oh, go yes we yes go. yep Tim's got a button he just Tim's a got a button oh god <laughs> now I'm afraid uh so the here's the thing about comics the comics industry is not really any more stable than the publishing industry but what it is is faster it's faster to write a proposal you first of all you can sell on a proposal which right now most publishing companies aren't doing that with mid career authors or mid list authors. I'm sure, you know, Patterson doesn't have a hard time selling on a pitch, but also he doesn't write his own books. So Mm -hmm. that makes it easier as well. Um, but you, like I had pitches that my agent tried to sell. Nobody was buying a pitch. You had to have a full novel, uh, comics. You can write a pitch fairly quickly. Um, and then you start, you're your own agent. So you do everything yourself, which has good sides and bad. But if, you know, you get answers within about a month, two months, you can start like reaching back out. And then if that one doesn't sell, you write a new pitch and try again. So it's more quick. It's a lot quicker to get rejected. You don't have to wait around, you know, like rejection is much faster. Thank, thankfully. So great. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with comics is getting your first comic out because um, there's no agents, but they're still gatekeepers. And you have to know people who know people. And I want to be very frank that I had help with that. You know, I made friends at cons, uh, usually like singing karaoke or in the bar or just being salty on a panel and um, making friends. And a friend of mine, Paul Cornell, uh, was really helpful about advising me and helping me. And I actually wrote this comic book pitch, didn't sell anywhere, sat on it for a long time. And then I heard about the project, or Paul told me about the Project Cryptid Anthology. And Ahoy, the publisher I'm working with, they are a small print publisher. And um, they 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 are not stodgy, like they're very like they're not obsessed with the old way of doing things. And they're willing to let new voices appear in things like their anthologies. So the Hodeg story that I wrote um was not the first comic script I wrote, but um the editor at Ahoy who was putting together this cryptid anthology was Sarah Litt is her name. And she was like listening. She was willing to meet with me this completely untested comic book writer um, and listen to my pitches and let me run with this hodeg short story, even though like I'm from fiction. I think I answered your question and like <laughs> six more that no one asked. <laughs> no, that's good. No. Well, okay. and here's something I'm always curious about
2: is how does, how does it work pairing you with an artist? Did they just pair you like you
1: make the pitch and they just pair you with an artist like how does that work so there's no so the the most frustrating thing about comics is there's no standard Hmm. if you uh write a novel Cameron Cameron writes a novel I know we're in fantasy land right now everyone try and put on your imagination hat remember when I wrote novels yeah I do remember (laughs) that uh we were still friends um (laughs) I mean we're friends now, but like we were friends back then. Anyway. Guys, I know Cameron in like IRL. Like IRL, yeah. Like Like IRL. I've met her with my face and her face in the same space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Face space. Digression. Digression. God damn, he got me. You know what? That's fair. That's fair, sir. Well played. That's fair. Yep. Um, okay, so there's no if you Cameron write a novel, you send it to your agent, and you send it to your agent in Microsoft Word right maybe a pdf but probably microsoft no, word yeah. and it's formatted like a novel you might do something different like each chapter starts on a new page or no but it's that's the standard right that's the the system in a comic book script first of all there is no set standard for comic book scripts if you write a screenplay you write it in final draft if you write a novel you write it or you send it out in microsoft word uh comics anything goes um there's, and there's different styles and variations and some people like the way, cause it's sort of like a script, but it like a um, film script, but it's kind of different. There's no standard. And, um, every single comic book agency does things differently. So you, there's like for Ahoy, they, for, and they might do it differently within the thing. So some comic book companies, when you pitch them your story, you have to have an artist attached. So in that case, you have to go find your own artist, get them to do um, or get them to agree to be on the project and sometimes even draw some like mock-ups for free, right? Which is time from their work schedule that may or may not go anywhere. Some comic book um, publishers prefer to do the pairing like they don't um want you. They don't want you to have an artist attached because they want to look at your work, choose their artist and that's kind of their way of shaping the project. So, for Ahoy, for my project crypted short story which is called The Tall Tale Tour. Um and I deeply wish I'd named it something less alliterative. Uh for that, they paired me with an artist and I am so grateful that they did and that they did not consult me. <laughs> so like, uh, spoiler alert, the script that I mentioned earlier, that was my first comic book pitch after the hodag thing, I actually sold that to Ahoy and they are going to be publishing my first, uh, like five issue comic book nice. book. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm writing that right now. I'm on, I, I just finished script four of five. Um, So in that case, I picked my artist um, and I'm working with her. We're really collaborative. Um, Sally Cantorino is her name. She's lovely. Uh, But for my Project Cryptid Script, they paired me with an artist named Lane Lloyd, who had never like I still haven't actually talked to them, um, but I am so glad that it worked out this way, because in a million years, I would never have glanced at. Lane Lloyd's art and been like oh yeah that's that's for lumberjacks that looks like a lumberjack story artist um you know in my head I was imagining something very like realistic like uh not Kurt not so I'm really bad at art words you know the you know how there's like a million art like I'm, I'm talking visual arts yeah there's so yeah. many descriptive words yeah. surrealism and oh it's didactic or I don't know uh I'm re- cuz I'm really bad at them. Uh but lane style is very specific and it's very sort of like you look you could look at photo or images in a lineup and you would know which one was theirs. Hmm. And so uh I would not have chosen this person. And because Sarah saw something in this art and something in my script hmm. and was like this is going to make something that's that's better than the sum of its parts, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm actually thrilled <laughs> that I had no like vote, I mean, I'm a brand new comic artist. I it wouldn't really have been my place to like muscle in and be like you will choose who I want. But also, I'm I'm glad I wasn't in charge of that. You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in this case, I'm sorry. Again, very long answer, but I am answering the question in there. You are, you're doing uh, great. No. Uh in this case, I didn't choose Lane and I'm so glad that Lane was chosen for me because I look at the finished project and I'm like, this is so much better than what I had in my head.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you think, um, cause I know, did you, you went to school
1: for screenwriting, right? I went to school for film. For um, film. Yeah. So when I was there, the major that I was in was called critical studies. Mm -hmm. And it was but it was really sort of the general ed of film. So some people with that major went to screenwriting, some went to actual criticism. Mm -hmm. A lot of them became directors um, or I was going to be working in TV development. So Mm -hmm. that's where I worked right after college is um, I worked at NBC Universal and then at Warner Brothers for a minute um, in in TV development.
2: Yeah, because I was curious if just like your knowledge of that space and that more visual medium actually helped you um, in your comics work. I was just curious.
1: So it it has, but in these very sort of like insidious ways, because um, the format. So I said there's no standard format for a comic book script. Mine are written very much like screenplays, yeah. like the like like a screen page. It looks like a screenplay page. The fonts the same even. Um, and I, it's not because I was so practiced at screenplays. I've written like three pilots and, you know, none of them are fantastic, but it was more just like, I'd seen that formatting before and Mm -hmm. it worked. It was more translatable than, um, like a book format. But so I, I did have to learn about sequential storytelling, which is comic book, because you're not just using your words and you're not just using images, um, and there's no actors putting in their own craft, you know, so it's, it is different. But what, what I found happened is these little terms that I learned at film school sneak into my scripts, like, it'll be like wide shot yes. and, or, yeah. or like extreme close up or what was that? Oh, over the shoulder POV. And I'm like, where the fuck So, oh, sorry. No, you're Where fine. the, where the heckness where the heckness did that come from? I don't remember. Like because it's not Cameron, it's not like in every day of my life I'm like, "Oh, extreme close up on the mess the dog made." You know, like these are not colloquial phrases. But it was just, you know, from the main thing I did when I worked in TV was read scripts read and write coverage, yeah. Yeah. you know. So yeah. I've read a thousand bad scripts. Yeah. And apparently some of those camera directions made it into my brain. <laughs> so, um, poor, poor Lane is just on their own with my script. But for the the new project uh, with Sally that I'm working on now, I had to be like, listen, Sally, please don't be offended. You've been doing this a long time. You're a professional. I will be sneaking in weird camera angles, things. I apologize in advance. She's like, it's okay. Like, You're fine. I don't care if it says wide shot. (laughs) I'll do what I like. It (laughs) does. It says wide shot. (laughs) So, yes and no. Like, I I didn't, it's not the exact same thing, but I find these sneaky education things from 20 years ago show up in my scripts. That's
2: interesting. Do you think, and again, I know childcare is a huge issue. Do you think that, you know, you'll go back to doing novels at some point? Or are you
1: working on novels right now? Um, so the difference between writing a novel mm. and writing a comic book, I I've I've used this before, but never on a podcast. So, like mm. uh this this analogy is is new to audio. Mm. Um it's sort of like being a pretty decent long-distance swimmer mm. and then joining the synchronized swimming team. Mm. So uh a lot of the skills are the same, right? Uh, a lot of it is just staying alive in water. Yay. Um, but it's a team sport now mm-hmm. and it's much more rigid. Yes. Like there's a lot more rig- rigidity to like the the formatting and the process and the, and you know, but at the same time, that's a little less pressure on you, right? Because you're one of a group. Sure. Um, at the end of the day, it's all swimming. Like it's in the water, which mm-hmm. is where I want to be. Yeah. But I definitely prefer, well I don't know that I prefer novels as much as I'm a decent long distance swimmer yeah and kind of a kind of an iffy uh synchronized swimmer well you, know you know have what
2: I mean? less experience though in synchronized swimming yeah I mean it's like you know yeah it's like you've done distance swimming for 20 years and then now you're yeah. doing synchronized swimming for three months and it's like oh I'm right.
1: so bad at this well you're not bad you're learning right exactly exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. um I really am, ha- by the way, as a writer, as a professional writer, I'm very pleased with this analogy. For a while, I was using um, baby deer riding a tricycle, is how I feel. But because you've got all the, technically, you've got enough limbs, right? And the right muscles, but also what? Like, uh, but I like this better because it's it's less uh, pathetic for me uh, to be a decent long, ironically, I'm a terrible swimmer, like. I can keep my head above the water to, to not die. And that's, that's it. Um, so I'm sorry, you, you asked about novels and I I actually have news on that as of yesterday. I haven't even like told anybody yet, but yesterday I signed with a new agent who is going to go back out with the Elizabeth Frankenstein. Oh,
2: I'm so excited. Guys, publishers listening, Frankenstein is headed your way. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Good. Well, and that I mean that's the book of my heart. I spent 2 years working on it in between projects. It's very much about disability um because the the sort of narrator character is um has a invisible disability. So she's like looks normal normal. She looks like she is non-disabled from the outside. But then inside her joints are like falling apart. Um, And then there's Elizabeth who looks like, you know, not quite right on the outside, but she's indestructible. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, a lot of this book is these things I've been wanting to say about motherhood and what and like the body horror of Mm -hmm. pregnancy and some Mm -hmm. disabilities. And it's really about the things going on under the surface in women's bodies in a lot of ways. So I'm sorry, I could geek out about it all day, but literally yesterday I signed the contract. Um, So I have a new agent. We're doing an edit of the book together um, because she's very collaborative um, where my last agent who I really loved um, and if he hears this, you know, what's up? I still love you, but it just wasn't the process that I think I needed for this specific book. So my hope is that, Elizabeth will sell, hopefully even in a book two book contract, and then I'll go back to using the exp- uh, the advance money to live on while I write another book. Yeah. Yeah. And if not, it's going to be a, more comics. And that's okay, too. Yeah. I do like both of them. I like writing comics. I like having an artist who has a completely different brain than my brain and sees my ideas differently. Like that's so interesting if you start thinking about it as a novelist. So I really like that. At the same time, I'm very kind of type A and I love the control, the control. of writing a novel. You know, um, it, it's okay. I'm, I've am i decided I'm allowed to like it both ways. <laughs> like I like, it's okay, everyone. You can like both things. You can like, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. you write in many different modes. Yeah, you can. I like being collaborative at the same time, I really like having final control over everything about a novel that I'm writing, you know? So I like both things, but I am ready to get back to novels for at least for a while, you know, ideally it'll be both because as I said, comic books are faster. So they actually make a good pairing with being a novelist. If you write a screenplay, um, a movie screenplay, or even, like, you're on a series, writing a series, like, that's a full-time job. Yeah. It takes as long to write a screenplay as it does to write um, many novels. So there's not a lot of, like, let's squeeze this in, mm-hmm. you know? Where comic books, because the script is shorter um, and you can, like, the timeline is different, you can, they're, they're so much more adaptable to a, t- to a schedule, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. So hopefully both, but hopefully I'd like both. to do a novel next. Yeah.
2: All right, Tim, you had our, our pop question here to wrap us up.
0: Pop culture pop quiz. <laughs> Melissa, Cameron, tell the audience what you've been enjoying in your pop culture intake recently. What sort of books have you been reading? What uh, movies have you watched? What TV shows have you enjoyed? What music have you been listening to? Anything in the pop culture realm? Lissa, you can go first as the guest. No,
1: I want Cameron to go first. Okay, Cameron. You can go if first I as the pick, host. if I pick a bunch of like really like cheesy, like crappy stuff that I watch because it's cheesy and crappy, and then Cameron comes in with like I'm rereading Proust, and I'm gonna feel like an <laughs> asshole. So I want her to go first. Me to go
0: now. first.
1: Um, I'm actually reading uh, the Crow Trap, which
2: is the first Inspector Vera's stanhope novel so <gasps> that's the vera the vera show i don't know
1: if you've seen yeah that, but, um, um we have yeah. had many conversations about vera but please continue
2: <laughs> everything in the before time you love time. vera I'm vera like, is like
1: oh i love vera her. is like your your screen person she's yeah i look at her i'm like that's my fashion sense <laughs>
2: um i've also been watching true detective four, I guess. with Jody Oh, Fulton. the new one. Yeah. I'm really, yeah, I watched that, that one. Um, so that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I think those are the, those are the biggest ones.
1: So, yeah. Okay. All right. I okay. can work with All that. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and I have, I listen to, so I'm very particular. I'm very particular about my audio books, mm-hmm. um, because it has to be engaging, but not too engaging, or I'll just want to look at it on paper because I'm a, I'm a visual person. And I love the Vera audiobooks. I've listened to I think all of them except The Crow's Trap because um, that one is like not just Vera, right? It's, no, it's like got other she narrators. Show
2: up to like halfway through, or yeah. halfway through. Yeah, yeah.
1: I didn't read that one. I think I started with book two, and then I'm like current because I okay. their audiobooks are really good for that. Um, so in terms of what I'm doing right now, you know when like something like makes a big splash and you just don't get around to it, and then like five years later, you're like, oh yeah. And then you get into a thing that everybody else is over. So I'm watching Money Heist on Netflix, which is a Spanish language show that broke through with American audiences. And like, I think during the pandemic, a lot of people like got into uh, foreign language Mm -hmm. shows because (laughs) desperation. But um, this was like before that. And it's like this very fun I don't want to say Ocean's Eleven because that's very stylized, um, but like it—it's the story. So, and by the way, as a writer, I think a lot of the reason why I didn't watch it five years ago when everyone was interested is because it's called Money Heist. Mm-hmm. Money Heist, Cameron. <laughs> Cameron, it's a heist. But get this: what are what are they stealing? It could be any—it's money, <laughs> right? And uh, and I think that offended me, and I'm—I get really, you know uh salty about grammar but um it's actually they they have a hostage situation at a mint so i guess it, the spanish language title is la casa de papel which I is i was gonna house. say yeah usually it's not paper house would yeah. have been such a cool anyway yeah. yeah but so i'm watching money heist and um i'm reading so i I guess back to the like writing thing, I mentioned the childcare issue and needing an advanced write. The one exception to the rule is tie-in fiction. Hmm. Tie-in fiction is still something that you can sell on a pitch. Hmm. Um, And so I actually tried really hard to start writing tie-in fiction. And um, I was, I, so I, I was going to pitch a novel set in the Monarch universe Hmm. Uh, Godzilla, Kong, whatever, and um, I might still pitch that, or I might just write a kaiju novel. I'm I'm also reading. Um, I just started John Scalzi's Kaiju yes. Pre- Preservation Society. Um, you know, I kind of had this lightning bolt moment a few weeks ago where I was like, "What am I going to write next?" There's no through line. All my books are so randomly unconnected. And then I had this like absolute epiph- epiphany where I was like. Oh, I write monsters. Mm. Everything yeah. I write is monsters. Yeah. I mean, I wrote urban fantasy monsters, vampires and werewolves, mm-hmm. and then I wrote The Hodag uh mm-hmm. for this comic book. The new comic book I'm doing is an Island of Monsters, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Oh, holy shit, I write yeah. monsters." Yeah. Um, and so I started you know, kind of part research part the same brain muscle that sends you down Wikipedia rabbit holes and gets you interested in random things for like two hours. I'm on a Monarch deep dive. So I've watched, I've rewatched all the films. Um, I watched the TV show. And by the way, I need to be very clear, not because they're great, that I am in no way advocating that the recent Godzilla movies are excellent American films. And I I just want to be real on the record about that. So I don't get emails. Mm. Uh, but I'm also re- I'm even reading the tie in fiction and finding that like I kind of started reading it as research. But uh, there's this author, Greg Keys who wrote the tie in fiction for Godzilla, King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong. And they are objectively better than the films <laughs> because the the monarch movies are very choppy. Like you feel like did I miss a really long scene where they explained why they're doing this? Nope. They're just doing it. It's fine. You didn't miss anything. Just wait for Godzilla to be on screen again. Um, but the the book is actually like kind of awesome in that Michael Crichton, teenage Melissa, you know, special way. Um, and it's giving me more ideas for, for what to write for my novel. So I, I like to combine work and fun reading because I have no like sense of self care or uh, keeping things separate. So I'm on a big Monarch deep dive right now. I'm almost done though. And then I'll probably, hopefully start writing a kaiju book.
2: Awesome, I'm excited, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs>
0: Very cool.
1: Yay.
0: Cool. All Did right. Did I pass
2: the quiz? You ha- won? I think you might've passed, yeah.
0: Who won? Who won? <laughs> we don't have, right? everybody's Someone's a winner. a
1: competitive secret, long distance swimmer over here. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My partner uh, is a professional GM. Mm. uh and so he does a lot of rpg stuff but he also works for um pro pro jam or it's like a website where you can hire pro gms and i have this really absolutely hilarious bit that i like to do where as soon as he's done with a game i ask him who won (laughs) and let me tell you it never gets stale it's funny every time and he really appreciates it deep down Nice. Yeah. He he knows what he signed up for. It's fine.
0: <laughs> um, Cameron, should I send us home now?
1: I think we're ready, Tim.
0: Okay, well, All I'd right. like to remind the folks, if you're listening to this, you could also be watching this at patreon.com forward slash Cameron Hurley, where videos like this and more are available exclusively to Hurley's heroes. You can find Melissa. At Melissa F. Olson with an O, well, two O's. Uh, dot com, her newsletter Dispatches from the Blanket Fort is on Substack. You can find her at Patreon under the same name, and she's on all the socials, including Blue Sky, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So if you're looking for that LinkedIn <laughs> chatter, it's on your website or it's on your, not your website. Juice,
2: baby. It's, yeah. it's on your. You
0: have you LinkedIn joke, on but- your. Linktry. No, it's a
1: good, yeah. You get jobs. Comics, comics yeah. is more LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Comics is more LinkedIn than um, Got fiction. It. Yeah. I don't I don't think I've ever met a fiction author who cared about LinkedIn at all. Like, it's not a thing. But comics is a little bit more. Yep, yep, there you go. Pro tip. Sorry, oh, I hear
0: the dogs behind me.
1: Oh, that's okay. Uh, that's I'm so excited it wasn't me. By the way, if you subscribe to Cameron's Patreon, you will get the only look at my hoedagic-themed jacket Mm-hmm. Earrings mm-hmm. and uh, the back of my jacket, which says "Yeah, a large the whole day." <laughs> the so I mean, that you have to sign up on you, Patreon. You have
2: to because just to see Lisa's all that
1: styling. You styling here, folks. I committed to the theme. Is what I did. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I'm good she at. She knew the assignment. Yeah, I knew the homework.
0: Is that a limited edition code or can people buy that somewhere? <laughs>
1: Uh, neither. I had it made. Well, I made it in that I bought the coat, forgot it in a closet for five years, bought the hodeg patch, bought bought a hodeg t-shirt and uh, got my mommy to set it up for me. I don't sew. I don't sew. But my mom does. So I made my mommy make my jacket for me. It's very normal and mature.
0: The fact that you keep calling her mommy is the icing on that cake.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I make her do things that are like the things that she had to do for me in 7th grade, I kind of punish myself by saying, you know, my mommy did it. <laughs> it's it's my way of self-mockery.
0: Got it. Um, and of course, Cameron is at cameronhurley.com and active on Blue Sky and Instagram under the same name. You can sign up for short gooey adventures from her every month at Patreon Cameron Send us home.
2: Alright everybody! Expect you to get back to work!